Hello, I'm your host, Logan Russell of A Headmaster's Memoir. Today, I am joined by Mr. Sean Hunley, who's the head of school here at South Shore Christian Academy. Um, Mr. Sean Hunley, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. That's awesome. Uh, Mr. Hunley is a product of Gordon College. Uh, he's also a graduate of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Um, and he has served as the head of school at South Shore for about two years now. Is that correct? Yeah, this is my third year. Awesome. Um, but yeah, first goes first. I'd love to hear your story. So how did you get into education, first of all? How did you get into independent schools? Um, and kind of what did your path to leadership look like? Hmm. Well, um, I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, and although I toyed with other kind of career possibilities and even you know, uh, was thinking of going to seminary for a while and so forth. The one common strand was always education. Um, my mom was a public school teacher, taught second grade. Um, so I guess it's kind of, you know, education sometimes runs in families. Uh, so, um, uh, and uh, in particular, I was inspired by some great teachers that I had, um, especially in in high school, and in particular, my, my English teacher. So um, to become an English teacher seemed like a, a great path for me and in, in my interests. Um, even as a little kid, I used to imagine, you know, uh, while I was sitting in class, how I might conduct the class if I were the teacher type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, after having some great experiences with some really uh, inspiring, uh, informative teachers, um, I, uh, you know, I was in the business world for a little while after um, graduating from college and realized I need to get back to where my heart keeps drawing me. Yeah, that's important. And so um, at the same time, I was uh, going to be getting married, and um, uh, both my wife and I wanted to live overseas for yeah. a while, um, you know, early in our marriage before we started having children and so forth. So I began applying to um, jobs in uh, overseas, particularly in Hong Kong. Okay. And um, it was in the middle of the school year, but I was able to, to get a job at International Christian School. They happened to have a mid-year opening for an English teacher, and that was my, that was my entry point into yeah. uh, the world of teaching. And it was awesome because it was a kind of an entrepreneurial, still yeah. in almost a little bit of a startup phase. And so I was able to learn from well-established colleagues, really talented colleagues, but also be drawn into participation in things like school accreditation and other school formation efforts. So that was hugely formative for me. Um, from there, uh, came back stateside, went to um, uh, got get my master's degree at um, at Harvard Graduate School of Education with the thought being that I realized that education was very um, much a system that yeah. a teacher couldn't do his or her work in the classroom in isolation. Uh, it was the work of a teacher was dependent on and supported by larger systems at work in the school. Everything from admissions to scheduling to finance to everything related back to the classroom. And so I wanted to think more systematically about how to support good teaching. Yeah. So that drove me into school leadership and administration. So I, I went to Harvard to answer some of those questions that I had um, about how the system of a school could best support good teaching and could connect a student with the larger world rather than insulating yeah. the student. Um, from there, I went to um, Eagle Hill School, and um, after teaching for a while, I was the founding director of a performing arts center on campus there, um, which really helped me to fulfill that dream of finding bridges between the world of the student and the world of adult. 
So we had a fully functioning regional performing arts center with a full season of public programming. Oh, awesome. um, students were exhibiting and performing alongside professional artists. And we had student interns who were working as um, arts management interns, helping with booking, negotiating contracts, writing press releases, yeah. doing PR, marketing, stuff like that. Um, and then other interns who were working on setting up the gallery or um, working with professionals on lighting and sound design and so forth. Um, from there, I wanted to get back into more of a classroom setting, and I wanted to get back into a Christian setting. That was a, a secular boarding school. Um, and so I began work at uh, Barrington Christian Academy um, and eventually became head of school there. Uh, that was my first head of school position. Um, and then from there, COVID and some other things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone has that little bit of a yeah, parentheses. Definitely, um, definitely. And then um, on to here to, to South Shore Christian Academy, which has been just an, an awesome oppor- opportunity with a little bit more um, experience and expertise under my belt um, at Barrington Christian Academy and um, and, and other schools, uh, Eagle Hill School and, and other places, to be able to bring that to bear into this setting, working with awesome people and um, helping this school to just continue on its path and, and to take the next steps in its development as an institution. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Before we move on, um, just a quick question about your transition. How did you kind of go from, you know, English teacher to, you know, the director of a performing arts center? Did you have any background in performing arts or kind of... Did they just say, you know, Sean has the ability to kind of be a good organizer, leader, so we think he can do this regardless of maybe not having backgrounds in that? Mm. What did that look like or how did that transition look or how did that just come about? Yeah, so at Eagle Hill School, it, it, that was a transition from English teacher to, to founding director of the Cultural Center. And um, I do have a background in performing arts as a performer. So in high school and college, music and theater, um, uh and also, I mentioned I was in the business field, and um, in that area, I was in real estate development. And so I had a um, window into kind of the whole real estate development process as far as like concept, design, uh, working with different constituencies, whether it's the city, the designers, and so forth, uh, client, and bringing about the final project. All, then in graduate school, at Harvard, I looked a lot into, as I said, this idea of connecting the student with the larger community and kind of dissolving the bounds between school and larger community. So all that really started to come together at Eagle Hill School. Um, And so although I was only working during the school year, I was spending some time in my classroom uh, kind of mapping out some ideas of ways that a school could engage in partnerships with other kinds of institutions that would open up possibilities for students to be involved in work that was not purely academic, but that was work that um, would have a real purpose and a real audience in the larger community. Because I knew that that's when students really get engaged and really get a sense of responsibility and excitement, and that that then animates their classwork as well because they see how it all fits together. And so I had a kind of hub-and-spoke model of, of a school surrounded by different kinds of institutions, whether it be a hospital or a performing arts center or other kinds of institutions, and I was finding most of the lines were going between a school and a performing arts center. That seemed to be um, the most uh, generative partnership that that I was working on, and um, perhaps because of my background in performing arts and the assistant head of school for academic affairs happened to be passing by my classroom, and he stopped in and said, 
what are you doing here? It's summertime. Why are you here? <laughs> and so I said, oh, I'm just working on this little project. And he said, oh, tell me about it. Uh, so I told him about what I was working on. And he said, well, you know, this is very interesting because uh, the school is going to be starting the fundraising process to build a performing arts center. The concept being that this would be a, a place for our students to perform and exhibit their work. But this whole thing about community engagement and, uh, you know, internships and all this, this sounds really exciting. And it may be that this is the perfect time to introduce these ideas into this process before we actually formally launch the fundraising. And so I wrote up a formal white paper with all kinds of kind of scholarly support of why this would be a good idea, um, presented it to the head of school who presented it to the board. They bought into it, and it really became the basis for the programmatic design and even the physical design for the cultural center and the basis for the the fundraising. And so that school was able to raise uh, something like uh, $12 million in 15 months to to, to build this. And so during the design and construction, I was working on the program and um, developing collaboration and partnership between the existing arts faculty and surrounding performing artists and consultants and um, potential performers and agents and managers and so forth. Yeah. So I was lining up our first season public programming. I was lining up um, our internship program and what that would look like. Um, I put together an initial training program for our faculty and students interested in the internship program at a local community college so that we could start learning things like theatrical lighting design, sound design, stuff like that. So that by the time we cut the ribbon, we would have an entire season of public programming lined up and we'd have a team of interns who are already trained to be able to start working with professionals and working on sound and lighting and, and, and all the different aspects of production right away. That yeah, that sounds incredible. <laughs> um, like there's a, a ton to unpack there. So like, where my mind goes with this is obviously a school, a community, um, you know, a senior leadership, a board isn't going to commit to something like this, a project of this size and magnitude, um, without I feel like some strategic thinking behind it. There has to be like, like you said, you, you you kind of delved into it, like a reason why they're doing this. The school's, you know, aligning itself with, I'm sure, like its mission or some vision it has for itself. Um, and I think along those lines of, you know, a school's mission and vision, you know, every so often schools have to make sure they're staying aligned with that. Um, and I think oftentimes a buzzword that goes along with, you know, maybe just realignment with the vision or just ensuring that a school stays on track with that is this idea of a strategic plan that happens every, you know, it could be three to five to seven years. They kind of realign, break out the paper and say, okay, what are our next five, six, seven years going to look like? Um, And that can be a big task, I'm assuming, for, you know, a head of school, you know, their support systems, the board. So I kind of want to get into this question of, you know, as you're a school leader, you're new to South Shore, fairly new, um, going into your third year. As you come in as a new leader, one, how do you figure out the direction that the school maybe has been going in? And then how do you figure out the way that you want to take it? And I guess in terms of where you want to go, how would a head of school sit down and say, okay, or rather, how would one formulate a strategic plan? Like if you're giving advice to a new head of school, like if you can look back at yourself, you know, two years and change ago, what advice would you give to yourself in creating 
a strategic plan for an institution? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think that the first step is to collaboratively ask two questions. So a new head of school uh, first needs to um, understand and internalize the mission of the school. And that may sound rather obvious, but, you know, it's a great place to start. Um, and to really, yeah, as I say, understand. For me, that, that, that meant even coming up with a, a, a diagram, like a, a, a visual to represent the mission statement and the different components of the mission statement and how they fit together. Um, because it's not the role of a head of school to decide who the school is. It's the role of the head of school to discover who the school is and to help the school to become more fully what it is. And I find two questions to be really, really important. And if a new head of school can collaboratively ask these questions, it can be a great way to develop relationships, to engage the larger school community. And these questions are typically really welcomed by members of the school community. So the first question is, in what ways are we living out our mission? And so a head of school, when meeting uh, you know, uh, a divisional leader or a teacher, might ask this question, hey, Talk to me a little bit about, in your experience as an educator here, what are some of the ways that you're excited about the school, the ways that the school is living out its mission? It's not a threatening question. Uh, it's a question <laughs> that celebrates who the school is. You know, yeah. it's like, I'm new here. Help, help me. It's my job to understand the school and, and to tell the story of the school and to boast about the school. Um, so, so help me develop a, 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 a clearer picture of what are some of the ways from your perspective that this school is living out its mission? What are some of the ways that you and your work are living out the mission of the school? It's a great way to learn about the school. And then the next question to ask, again collaboratively, is in what ways could we live out the mission of the school even more fully? What might be the next step that we might take to live out that vision even more fully? And so the first question is a way of understanding the school and of establishing trust and rapport with the people you work with. And then the second question is a way to demonstrate uh, support for the school and support for the work that people are doing to say, how can I support you in envisioning what the next step might be? And um, how can I you know, support you in the school and helping us take that next step? How can we live into the vision of the school even more fully? So we start by asking those questions. The next step is that the, the answers to those questions can become um, kind of the, the, the basic material of a strategic plan. Yeah. Um, but note that because we're gathering that material for the strategic plan based on questions about the mission, we're going to ensure that the strategic plan itself is pointing toward the mission. The mission yeah. always remains the North Star. Um, and so those, those next steps, you know, if only, we had, uh, if only we could expand this program. You know, this is a strength that we already have. Uh, the next step for this particular program would be to expand it so that more kids get access to this program yeah. uh, would be an example um, of, you know, the, the answer to the first question is, this is a program that's a strength. Next question is, uh, we can live out that mission even more by expanding this program so more kids have access to it. Okay, so that gets folded in as kind of the, some of the working material for a strategic plan. As we begin to collect some of these things, um, then the next question is, how much would it, what would be the timeline for this? Um, 
what would be involved, what needs to happen in order for this program to get expanded for more kids to have access? And how much would that cost over the duration of that time? Yeah. That's where things start to get really exciting because that's where we start to think, wait a minute, maybe this could actually happen. Um, I think one of the obstacles to change and one of the obstacles to, ch- to progress in a school is that it just seems too overwhelming. People say, oh, it'd be great someday to expand that program, but yeah. it would be too expensive. Think of how much it would cost, or we don't have the personnel to do it. But if you start saying, well, what would it look like to do that over the next five years? Well, I mean, year one, maybe we could just study it and, and, and start connecting with some resources and, and start formulating a plan. Maybe this, the next year we could hire someone part-time to start like putting those partnerships together and putting those different pieces together. Maybe the third year we could do such and so. It's like, okay, now it's starting to seem doable. Um, and so then, then the next step is to really document, all right, what are the top few things that we want to accomplish in order to live out our mission even more fully in the next three to five years. Those should be things that are doable, that are realistic, not incredibly aspirational. They should be things that once you get down, once you start talking about timelines and budgets and so forth, actually seem like they could be really doable. Yeah. Keep it simple and don't, don't get a million people into a room and say, where should the school be in 10 years and come up with all these aspirational things that are purely dreams that's not helpful for strategic planning it's like what are a few things that we might do in the next three to five years to live out our vision um, and live out our mission more fully so now's when a conversation with the board needs to happen the board needs to be uh, kept apprised of those ongoing discussions about ways the school is living into its mission, the next steps for living into its mission. They need to have an opportunity to have some feedback and to feel part and bought into that. Uh, but then here's where their expertise really comes into play is board of trustees. I have begun the process of kind of mapping out what it might look like to accomplish these few things over the next five years. We need to start operationalizing it, and we need to start putting dollars and, t- and cents to it. Will you help me to develop this document? And that's where a board can really bring in their expertise. Um, they can help to select what those top items are. They can help to um, manage the timeline and make sure that it's realistic, and they can help to start putting dollars and cents around um, what it will take to accomplish that. So oftentimes, I guess you can correct me if I'm misunderstanding this, is it a situation where maybe you and your senior leadership of the school kind of have an idea of where you want to take the school in the next five, six years, and you bring that to the board for approval? Or is it a situation typically where you're going to the board and saying, hey, what do you think or where do you think the school should be in five years, and you kind of build it out backwards? or? Kind of, yeah. Does that make sense, that question? Yeah, yeah. it's so interesting. I, I think it's really a dance between those two because the board, their job is strategy. Their job is to safe keep the mission of the school and to help the school push forward into, um, in, into sustaining the mission and to more excellently fulfilling the mission. And so we can't leave them out of that process. On the other hand, though, they're not involved in the day-to-day. 
So they may not be aware of all the wonderful stories that need to be told and understood uh, and collected about the ways that the school is, is excellently fulfilling its mission and what the next steps might be. Yeah. So on the one hand, they need to be part of that process. But on the other hand, they don't have the same level of insight that the operational leaders and even like the faculty and, and other constituents in the school may have on a day-to-day basis. And so it has to be a, a dance. For a new head of school, it's great to ask the board as part of even like the onboarding process and part of the interview process to say, hey, board of trustees, what are some of your top items that you want to see accomplished or that you believe need to be accomplished in the life of the school? Put those, you know, in, uh, in, in the pot. And then... As a new head of school, you begin having similar conversations with divisional leaders, with educators, with parents, with students. Put those in the pot. Kind of stir it all together. See where the commonalities are. I think you'll find some common strands, you know, whether that be something to do with facilities or whether it's something to do with key programming, stuff like that. You'll start to see these commonalities. And the, and the, the um, head of school can kind of shuttle back and forth between those operational leaders and the board to be generating excitement about, hey, Board of Trustees, I've been talking about your vision of the school with the the operational leaders of the school, and these are some common stories that I'm seeing uh, uh, emerging, and I'm starting to feel like the beginnings of what might become a strategic plan that we can work on together. That affirms the board's vision, but it also brings in that critical operational knowledge and expertise from the divisional leaders. No, that that makes a ton of sense. So it's kind of like a... So would you say, as a head of school, your job more so is, I don't want to reduce it to the, the, in the life of a strategic plan, a messenger, per se, but a facilitator between those who are on the ground making the nitty-gritty happen in the day-to-day, and you're kind of pulling this idea or vision that the board has, and kind of like bring the two together, I guess? No question. No question about it. There's definitely a bridging there. Uh, Definitely a kind of uh, collecting of these ideas, processing of these ideas, and synthesizing of these ideas to to find those common strands and and, and the kind of pillars of of what will become the the strategic plan. Um, Now, of course, there's, there's some will that's exerted there. There's some expertise that's exerted there because the process of finding, collecting, and synthesizing and simplifying and crystallizing these things requires effort and creativity and expertise. So there's an active role there that the head of school plays, but the head of school must not make stuff up out of thin air. That is not his or her role. You have to work with the good stuff that's around you. You have to access it. Um, And so this is why it's really important for a head of school not to become, on the one hand, disconnected from the day-to-day operations of the school, but on the other hand, not so embedded in the weeds of the school that the head of school can't think big picture. The head of school has to live in both worlds simultaneously in order to do their job properly. So then how, how would you, how would a head of school, um, or what are healthy ways a head of school could guard themselves from being drawn too deep into the, the weeds of everyday, you know, nitty-gritty operational stuff? Like, obviously, most head of schools are lifelong educators. They love kids. They care about kids, how they're educated. They love their staff. Ultimately, they're there to to kind of serve their staff. So how does one create that healthy boundary between 
you know, wanting to be there, be present for, you know, their faculty and staff, but not getting drawn too deep in there. Yeah, I think heads of school who come from the education side, their temptation is to be too embedded in operations. Heads of school who come at it from a business side, they're accustomed to like spreadsheets, big picture, and they actually don't come with a lot of education expertise. Their danger and temptation is to be disconnected from the daily operations of the school. And so um, to speak to your question, the head of school who comes from the education side and is tempted to be really embedded in the weeds, that person has to realign how they um, invest their time from investing in the actual development of program and the caring of children uh, and supporting children to the supporting leaders and educators who then support children. That's a huge transition to make, but it's necessary to be successful. And when you make that change, you'll find it's incredibly freeing because now instead of developing the program yourself, you're developing leaders who are developing the program. And instead of mentoring mm. kids, you're mentoring adults who are mentoring kids. And that can be incredibly satisfying, but first you have to let go of a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I can see that can definitely be hard for the, the leaders who are coming from the education side where they've you know been in the classroom, they've been with the kids, maybe a divisional head, and they kind of know um, exactly how something should be designed or, or planned out um, to kind of just... Especially if they've executed at a high level doing that for a long time, it can definitely be hard to kind of take a step back and say, okay, you guys got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so early in our conversation, we, you mentioned a lot about the importance of mission, um, and you briefly talked about vision. Can you maybe talk about for a head of school the difference between the two? Yeah, and I think... The word vision, you know, is a little bit slippery in that it's used sometimes in a kind of narrow sense of like a vision statement that almost is like uh, a corollary to the, the mission statement. And um, I, I think of, and that can be useful, but I'm thinking of vision um, in a little bit more of a global sense of let's, um, let's imagine together what it will look like to accomplish our mission with even greater excellence. We need to, that, there's an imaginative process that, that has to happen there. Um, and it may sound like I'm going back to that idea of let's just, you know, let's dream big. I, I, I actually think that dreaming big can sometimes be like an enemy, of, particularly of a small school that doesn't have limitless resources. No, let's not dream big, but let's use our imagination in a kind of almost like scientific disciplined way yeah. to say, how can we build on our strengths in ways that are realistic? How can we leverage existing resources in new ways? How can we connect to existing resources in new ways that will enable us to accomplish more, um, but in, in ways that, that are realistic, that we could actually commit to? And I think there has to be a sense in a strategic plan that the items in the strategic plan are things that the school leadership and board together, in concert, commit to. And one of the ways that that hap- happens is that um, the strategic plan has to be a two-part document, a strategic plan and a strategic financial plan. Mm. And so the strategic f- plan says, here's how we're going to live into our mission with greater excellence in the coming three to five years. Mm. Here are the steps we need to take in order to get there. 
And here's what those steps will cost us over the course of the next five years. The strategic plan then, strategic financial plan then says, how are we going to pay for that? So a strategic plan takes the expected operational costs for the next five years and says, let's assume a certain degree of faculty raises, let's assume a certain amount of inflation, let's make a lot of other assumptions of how our costs are going to grow over time, assuming we do nothing different. All our programs remain the same, our costs are still going to increase. So let's be realistic about that. Now, let's look at our strategic items, plug those into our spreadsheet, and say, how much is that going to cost year over year? Then, where's that money going to come from? Okay. Now, what we can't say is that money is going to come from raising more money every year. Okay. <laughs> we can't directly control that. Yeah. Okay. And increasing our capacity to raise money may be one of our strategic items, but that in itself is going to cost money. Yeah. Okay. So we can't assume magical things are going to happen with fundraising. So where else are we going to get the money? We're going to get the money through tuition. That's the bread and butter for any private independent school. And so the board's responsibility is to say, okay, so we know what our, the, the cost of our strategic items are over the course of five years. How much would we have to raise tuition over the next five years yeah. in order to accomplish those strategic items? This is a great little check and balance exercise because it may be that the board looks at it and says, doggone it, this is actually doable. Like maybe we're raising tuition a little bit more than we thought we were. But we can sell this to our families but because we, we can demonstrate what's actually going to be accomplished for the student experience over the course of the next five years. Yeah. Or they may look at that and say, doggone it. We've actually been too ambitious in our strategic items. This is not realistic. So there's a little bit of a dialogue between the draft strategic plan and the draft strategic financial plan that makes sure that the strategic plan items are things that we can take to the bank, that we can be confident that we can really deliver on. And once that balance is done right, then the strategic financial plan becomes not a boring spreadsheet, but a really exciting roadmap to the future. And instead of the board of trustees, this is critical. Instead of looking at each other around the board table every year and saying, "What what shall tuition be this year? How much could we get away with? Instead, <laughs> actually, the, 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 the tuition for the next five years is already decided. Yeah, we know what it is. And it's, it hasn't come out of thin air. It hasn't come out of a crystal ball. It hasn't come out of, what do we think we can get out of our families? What can we get away with? It's come out of a strategic vision of what are we going to accomplish over the next five years. Now, the, 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 the tuition increase conversation with our families can be one that we can have confidently, can be one that we can have transparently, can be one that actually we can all get behind and get excited about because what those tuition increases are is transparent, it's known, the parents are bought in and they understand the changes that are going to happen. They can get excited about that over the course of the next coming years. And then when in year one of the plan, we deliver on the items in year one, people get a little more excited. And when in year two, the school delivers yeah. on the year two <laughs> items, people are like, doggone it, this is actually going to happen. That can then snowball into increased fund- fundraising capacity. <laughs> it can snowball into everyone getting better at telling the school's story. Yeah. It can translate into um, uh, you know, better enrollment and things like that once that process really gets rolling. Well, that's awesome. So it, it almost sounds like the, what you described earlier, those, you know, 
magic that happens in fundraising isn't really magic. It all kind of starts from, okay, we're going to make a very detailed plan. We're going to see, okay, financially, how can we pull this off? Maybe we're too ambitious. Maybe we should tone it back a little bit. Maybe we realize we weren't ambitious enough. Mm-hmm. You kind of find the correct balance. And once you begin to to begin to execute on your your small steps, then sometimes that can spur on maybe the start of a larger capital fund campaign because families and parents are inspired by this or, or other stakeholders say, okay, you know, they're pulling this off. They're, they're doing what they said they would do. You know, what happens if we can back them even more? Um, so that's really cool. That, that makes a ton of sense. Um, but I don't want to take too much of your time, Mr. Hundley. Um, thank you for this conversation. This has been really insightful. Um, and hopefully the listeners enjoy this um, and our next conversation. You know, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what we'll talk about. But um, just thank you for your time. And, yeah, I'm glad, glad you could spend this time with me. Oh, awesome. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Logan. Yes, sir.